0: European Heart Journal Issue at a Glance Volume 37, Issue 12 Focus Issue on Hypertension By Editor-in-Chief Professor Thomas Luscher Update on Hypertension Target Blood Pressure, Comorbidities and Outcome Hypertension is a widely recognised risk factor for myocardial infarction, stroke and death. Although highly effective antihypertensive drugs as well as interventions have been developed over the last decades the optimal level of target blood pressure is still a matter of debate while the esc/esh guidelines recommend 140 over 90 mm of mercury as a target the jnc7 guidelines allow up to 150 mm of mercury systolic in the elderly a recent large randomized trial addressed this issue again and its implications are discussed in the editor's page Sprint, the race for optimal blood pressure control, by Thomas F. Luscher and Isabella Sudano from the University Hospital Zurich in Switzerland. Hypertension, along with ischemic heart disease, is a major cause of heart failure. Of note, in patients with left ventricular heart failure, the development of pulmonary hypertension and right ventricular dysfunction is common and contributes to disease progression, morbidity and mortality. Stefan Rosenkrantz from the University of Cologne in Germany addresses this issue in the clinical review Left Ventricular Heart Failure and Pulmonary Hypertension. Pulmonary Hypertension, related to left heart disease, represents the by far most common form, accounting for over two-thirds of cases. The distinction between pulmonary arterial hypertension and that related to left ventricular dysfunction may be challenging, yet is therapeutically relevant. Despite advances in understanding and management, the hemodynamic interrelations in pre- and post-capillary pulmonary hypertension are complex and evidence-based recommendations are lacking. The authors highlight the prevalence and significance of pulmonary hypertension, and right ventricular dysfunction in patients with heart failure with either reduced or preserved ejection fraction and provide insights into the complex pathophysiology of the development from a left ventricular phenotype to a right ventricular phenotype. Furthermore, they propose a better characterization of the individual phenotype of pulmonary hypertension by integrating the clinical context, non-invasive assessment, and invasive hemodynamic variables in a structured diagnostic workup. The issue of optimal target blood pressure is further discussed in the first research paper Cardiovascular Outcomes at Different On-Treatment Blood Pressures in the Hypertensive Patients of the VALUE trial by Giuseppe Mancia and colleagues from the Milano Bococcia University in Italy. They analyzed the risk of cardiovascular events associated with a target blood pressure of one hundred and forty over ninety millimeters of mercury or one hundred and thirty over eighty millimeters of mercury or lower in the value trial. Hypertensive patients were divided into one, those with on treatment blood pressure below one hundred and forty over ninety millimeters of mercury or below one hundred and thirty over eighty millimeters of mercury, or two the mean systolic or diastolic blood pressure actually achieved during treatment. A progressive reduction from over 75% to less than 25% on the visits in which blood pressure was below 140 over 90 of mercury, was accompanied by a progressive increase in the adjusted risk of cardiovascular morbidity and mortality, myocardial infarction, heart failure, stroke, and all-cause mortality. Except for a persistent progressive increase in stroke event risk did not change for a similar percent reduction of the visits in which blood pressure was below 130 over 80 millimeters of mercury however compared to patients remaining at a blood pressure of 140 over 90 millimeters of mercury or higher the risk of all events was markedly reduced when values were lowered to 130 to 139 over 80 to 89 millimeters of mercury except for stroke no further reduction occurred when mean on treatment was below 130 over 80 millimeters of mercury. The authors conclude that in hypertensives at high risk, reducing blood pressure below 130 over 80 millimeters of mercury did not, except for stroke, further prevent events. This paper is accompanied by a thoughtful editorial by Alan Gradman from the Temple University School of Medicine in Pittsburgh, USA. Hypertension and diabetes mellitus frequently cluster together and syllogistically increase risk. In the second paper, Contrasting Mortality Risks Among Subgroups of Treated Hypertensive Patients Developing New-Onset Diabetes, Sandosh Padmanaban and colleagues from the University of Glasgow in Scotland investigated in 15,089 hypertensives Whether new-onset diabetes presenting either early, i.e. less than 10 years after first clinical visit, or late, i.e. more than 10 years, is a separate entity associated with increased risk or merely reflects an accelerated form of diabetes. There were 2,516 patients with diabetes, of whom 1,862 had new-onset diabetes. Compared with non-diabetics, Those with diabetes had a hazard ratio of 1.8, and those with time-varying new-onset diabetes, one of 1.09, and increased all-cause mortality. Early new-onset diabetes was associated with increased mortality, but not late-new-onset diabetes. The authors conclude that although 1 in 8 hypertensives develop new-onset diabetes, mortality is increased only in 1 in 20. Further studies are warranted to determine if early identification of such individuals should alert for intensification of therapy. The paper is accompanied by an editorial by Rosa Maria Bruno from the Centro Nazionale di Ricorsa in Pisa, Italy. The efficacy of inhibitors of the renin-angiotensin system of beta-blockers to prevent aortic dilation in Marfan syndrome remains controversial. In the third paper, entitled Efficacy of Lazartan versus Atenolol for the Prevention of Aortic Dilation in Marfan Syndrome, a Randomised Clinical Trial, Alberto Forteza and colleagues from Madrid in Spain report the results of their Phase 3b Randomized parallel double blind study enrolling 140 Marfan patients with maximum aortic diameter of less than 45 mm. During a follow up of almost three years, five patients, i.e., one in the Lozartan and four in the beta blocker group, presented aortic events. After three years, changes in maximum aortic root diameter indexed for body surface area did not differ between the Lozartan and Atenolol groups. Similarly, no differences were found in changes in the index-ascending aorta diameter between groups. The authors therefore conclude that in Marfan syndrome, Luzartan compared to Atenolol did not result in significant changes in diameters of the aortic root or ascending aorta. Hemochromatosis not only affects the liver, but also the cardiovascular system, in particular the myocardium. Further, it displays a number of circulatory alterations, increasing cardiovascular risk. Whether these include sympathetic abnormalities is unknown. In the last research paper, Alterations in Sympathetic Nerve Traffic in Genetic Hemochromatosis Before and After Iron Depletion Therapy, a Microneurographic Study, Guido Grassi, from the Università Milano Bicoccia in Milan, Italy, studied 18 primary hemochromatosis patients with elevated serum iron indices, but hemodynamic and metabolic variables comparable to healthy subjects. Muscle sympathetic nerve activity was significantly greater in hemochromatosis than in healthy controls. Iron depletion caused a significant reduction in serum ferritin, transferrin saturation and sympathetic nerve activity and improved in baroreflex sympathetic nerve activity modulation. This was paralleled by an increase in the high frequency heart rate variability and by a reduction in the low frequency systolic blood pressure variability components. Further sympathetic nerve activity was directly related to transferrin saturation, liver iron concentration and iron removed while the reductions in sympathetic nerve activity after iron depletion were inversely related to the baroreflex sympathetic nerve activity increases. The authors therefore provide the first evidence that in hemochromatosis, iron overload is associated with a hyperadrenergic state and a baroreflex alteration, which are reversed after iron depletion. These findings underline the importance of iron overload in modulating sympathetic activity and possibly the increased cardiovascular risk in such patients. The issue concludes with a special article, Big Data for Cardiology, Novel Discovery, by Victor meyer Schoenberger from the University of Oxford in the UK. Big Data promises to change cardiology through a massive increase in the data gathered and analysed but its impact goes beyond improving incrementally existing methods. The potential of comprehensive data sets for scientific discovery is examined, and its impact on the scientific method, generally, and cardiology in particular, is posited, together with likely consequences for research and practice. The author concludes that big data in cardiology changes how new insights are being discovered. For it to flourish... Significant modifications in the methods, structures and institutions of the profession are necessary. The editors hope that this issue of the European Heart Journal will find the interest of its readers.